my name is Gabriel White, and welcome to another episode of the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Uh, this week we had a great opportunity uh, to interview uh, two representatives of the Utah Defense Lawyers Association, uh, which was in, consisted of Sarah Vaughn, who's the current president. She's with the law firm of Fabian Vancott. And uh, the president-elect, Marshall Hendrickson, which is who's with the law firm of Strong and Haney. Also on the uh, podcast, you will hear from my law partner, uh, Dan Garner, uh, who is there to correct uh, mistakes that I make and uh, add his insightful commentary so that uh, all of you don't get bored um, by me. And um, so it's a it's a really turned out to be a really great interview um, because both Dan and I are plaintiffs lawyers um, and we wanted to kind of get a sense of what the you know what the other side thinks about certain issues and so you'll hear we'll, we go through that. Um, also wanted to tell you uh, as we get started about our partnership with uh, trialguides.com. Uh, they, uh, our leading producer of continu- continuing education materials for civil plaintiff and criminal defense lawyers. Uh, we've looked at a lot of their books, CDs, their live webinars, and a lot of the other stuff they produce. Um, they have definitely had a major impact on uh, my practice, helping me to better respond to new trends uh, in the law, uh, tactics at trial uh, that we see from the defense, uh, from some of our friends that we're going to be uh, talking to today, although they might not admit it. Um, and um, we have a special offer for our listeners because of this partnership uh, that we have with Trial Guides. Uh, you can get 10% off your any order you make at trialguides.com by entering the code TLP10, that's the letters TLP and then the number 10. So think Trial Lawyer Podcast and the number 10. Um, we uh, hope that you will visit their site. Also, um, you know that we also hope that you will visit our sites, um, that you'll take a look at the uh, iTunes uh, site and give us a rating. After you're done, let us know if you have any comments. Also, you can go to Salt Lake, um, SaltLakeTrialAttorney.com, uh, which is where we post the audio files before they get uploaded to iTunes. If you're not an iTunes uh, subscriber, you can listen to them there. You can also post comments or questions that you'd like us to answer, and uh, those will get emailed to us, and hopefully we'll get a chance to dig into some of that material. Uh, We'd really love to hear from some of our listeners. And thank you so much for listening. We hope you will enjoy this um, very fun and entertaining interview we had with some of the leadership uh, from, um, you know, uh, from my jaded perspective, what I'd call the dark side. Uh, But you'll see they have kind of a different perspective on it. So enjoy and let us know what you think. Thanks. So we're just talking about, um, you know, uh, the changes in 
the way litigation gets handled at different levels. Um, we mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, before we got on the air, Marshall, um, a little bit about um, you know, some of this jury research stuff and whether or not, you know, what kind of verdicts justify that kind of a... a uh, Dr. Phil Exp level. Yeah, that kind <laughs> of exposure. And I remember I was at a, a party at Holland and Hart once, and there was a guy there, and I, I don't remember his name. He worked at Howry before Howry went under. And he told me that they were flying out associates from, from Salt Lake and from all over the country. And because I, I had told him, you remember the movie Michael Clayton? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So you remember they have these scenes, they have these scenes in this movie where they're supposedly settling this big environmental lawsuit. And there's rooms with probably 30 attorneys all working on the one settlement of the case. And I said, <clears throat> you know, one of the things I thought was most ridiculous about in a legal movie is that to see a scene like that because what client would ever let, you know, 30 attorneys bill on their matter at once? He's like, oh, we do that all the time. And I'm like, all right, what are you talking about? He's like, well, it's like a hundred million dollar lawsuit, and so, you know, we'll they'll we'll they'll set us up. You know, we'll fly out there Sunday night. They'll set us up on Monday, and we'll be working all you know thirteen hour days all through the week, and then they'll fly us back on the weekends. And he said, he said something like one time he got bored and added it up, and it was like uh, twenty five thousand dollars an hour or something Gosh. was the cost. And the bills would go out for services rendered, uh, you know, for uh, $2 million a month or whatever. Just wow. oh, That's amazing. And that law firm failed. So good luck <laughs> to the rest of us, right? Yeah. Well, yeah that's, that's, a, that's a snap business model there, right? Yeah. yeah. Well. So tell me a little bit about uh, yourself. Sarah, you are, we're, we, we've brought you guys here to talk about the UDLA and also about, you know, your practices and who you are and tell us about yourself. So tell, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Sure. So I'm um, the president of UDLA. Last year I became president, oh, interim president when uh, the then current president stepped down. Um, Thanks a lot, Jared Casper. <laughs> <laughs> you turncoat. Mm -hmm. Wait, uh, where did he? Why he did he turncoat? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Down in St. George. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that the model? This it's now, kind of a trend. It started going with uh, on. Nate Shriver. Morris, who goes to Berta de Bry, and now yeah. he's at uh, Eisenberg. Eisenberg. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we had uh, 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 Ryan Shriver was UDLA's president. And then he's doing plaintiff's work now. Yeah, yeah. It ought to be a law. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> so that's good. It just means we've got a lot of friends that we know well. Yeah, yes. that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So this year is my first full and last year as president of UDLA, um, and I'm a six-year six-year associate at Fabian Van Cott. Um, before that, I was at Kip and Christian doing, you know, classic insurance defense litigation. And now I do mostly employment litigation. I assume yeah. employer side. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Largely employer side. They do do some plaintiff's work there. So I had a slight, uh, do they have, do they do plaintiff's panic employment Panic attack when I got there? my first plaintiff's, no, not plaintiff's employment. I'm like, there's, I, I, yeah. I know two 
two, one firm and one person who do Stringer employment. Stringer and Skolnick? Yeah, that's like the B1. firm. That's yeah. the firm. And then, you know, April Hollingsworth does okay. that as well. Yeah. No, Fabian uh, does. those are the only ones that I know of. Just employment defense. Yeah, and sort of general employment uh, consulting and compliance issues. Yeah. Um, how about you, Marshall? I, I am the president-elect, which means I just ride Sarah's <laughs> coattails and... and uh, <sighs> Try to stay out of the way. This is the, the year you, part. you get to pretend like right. You, you're, oh yes, I'm I'm fully engaged. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, and then next year you're like, holy crap, this, I don't know how this works. This is Marshall's the details man. I'm big picture. I don't know how anything works. I know some emails. Like you know, I, I try to keep on top of things. But uh, I've been in UDLA for a couple of years now, and Strong and Hanny, a shareholder over there for uh, three years. And I work with Peter Christensen, and a lot of our work is, I mean, it's almost all insurance defense, everything from UIM, UM claims, up to wrongful death claims, uh, and yeah, it's a great time. No, I think, when we love, uh, you know, our firm is primarily a plaintiff's uh, firm. We do some commercial work as well. We don't do any defense work, but we love these far, you guys that do this defense work. This is referral sources are just fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, have people who actually cannot take the plaintiff case um, sending stuff over us. Very, very appreciative of that kind of that kind of stuff. So um, so tell me about UDLA. I mean what kind of what is your mission? How did you do you know anything about how you came to be? I know sometimes we we run these organizations and we're like there's no institutional memory because everybody moves on and we have institutional memory. It is not in my possession. Um, our board, though, we have board members who have been on the board for 10, 12 years. Oh, wow. Um, we, we keep them around because they do have that institutional memory of what we've done, what's worked well. They have a lot of contacts in the community that are really valuable. Um, I don't know when it started, though, and that's shameful. Yeah, I think uh, it started with Joe Joyce. Oh, uh, yes, you're I think right. he was our inaugural president. Uh, but I don't know uh, what year that might have been, and, and I'm sorry if I got that wrong, but if I remember right, I think, I think, you're think right. he is. And uh, it's been around for a, a number of years, and it's been a great opportunity. I know Gary Johnson has yep. been a past president. Uh, many past presidents have have uh, come through and uh, one great opportunity it is, is is of course for mentorship to be able to to be connected with others on the defense bar uh, of course to share stories interactions uh, and to learn generally not just about defense related things but general law practice and uh, a lot of us follow similar billing methods procedures uh, ways to deal with Good clients, difficult clients, mm -hmm. um, and, and good practices, and and I think I'm a better lawyer because I've been around a lot of these veteran attorneys who have so much wisdom to share. So oh, definitely. Like for example, um, I'm dealing with the premises liability issue on this Rodriguez versus Kroger case that came out in I think June of the summer, and the defense attorney who argued it is on our board. So we had a board meeting today. I asked him one of my questions and. Um, it's definitely helped me become a better lawyer and network and meet other people. And it, it, there's a lot of knowledge there with the members, our members. Um, 
we have about 180 members, currently active members of UDLA, and it is purely civil defense litigation. We lean heavily insurance defense, but that's not all that we do. We have a number of members that do um, employment defense, uh, defending the counties or the city or the state, um, really anything. I assume some corporate. Yep, a lot of corporate. Uh, in-house corporate med mal, construction, anything that you can insure, not just sort of your um, motor vehicle accidents or anything like that. But before we get into that, just a brief word from our sponsors. Unfortunately, most lawyers are never available when you need them. Many of them don't put your interests first. The lawyers at White & Garner do things differently. We take each case very seriously. We will always put your interests first. We represent people who have been injured in accidents. We also handle commercial litigation cases. Other law firms assign your case to a paralegal or secretary and put that person in charge of managing your case. Getting your actual attorney on the phone can be a nightmare, no matter how important your case. At our firm, every case is important and every client gets our full attention. We only take cases that we are comfortable taking all the way to a jury trial. Every move we make helps us better prepare your case for trial. To get the best results at trial, you need a lawyer that is paying attention and that is not afraid of a jury. You need the lawyers at White & Garner. Each client of White & Garner has access to their attorney at any time, any day of the week. You can talk directly to your attorney about your case at any time, day or night. If we do miss your call, we will get back to you within 24 hours. If you hire a lawyer from White & Garner, we will be there for you when you need us. That is our promise, and we keep our promises. Do you, do you know, which you guys know, a lot of the side organizations, I didn't know this, but I... You know, when I did some work for the bar, I, you know, I would hear whisperings that they were worried that this section or that section might break away from the bar. And I thought, what, what do they mean by that? And apparently some of these side organizations used to be sections of the bar and then got unhappy with something or got decided it'd be in their members' best interest to go in a different direction. And so they split off. Was UDLA in that sort of a situation or did they kind of form separately? Originally, I, don't, I, I mean, the, the short answer is I don't know, but I also don't think so. I think it's always originated uh, outside the bar. That said, we, you know, we, we want to cooperate and, and work with the bar and very interested, especially this time of year with the Legislative Affairs Committee. Uh, we do note that uh, the UAJ <laughs> has a, a voting seat on that. Uh, UDLA would very much like one as well. So seems we, fair. Yeah. 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 We, we are interested in, in getting more involved, but I, I don't think there was ever a time where we were and we broke away. No, I don't think so. We are a state and local organization of a national organization, Defense oh. Research Institute. Oh, do you guys, uh, are, you guys DRI. are DRI? Right. Okay. So I yeah. think we were originally formed under that sort of um, framework. I don't think we were ever formally associated with the bar, though, like Marshall said, we do. Okay. Try to work with them where we can. See, that makes more sense. I actually was a member of DRI for about a year when I first started practicing. I was doing defense cases, and I went to a construction 
against the advice of some more senior people. <laughs> I was like, I want to go to a constr- this construction law conference. And they're like, you won't know anybody, and they'll all be like 20 years older than you, and they'll all have been hanging out since they were in the Young Lawyers group. <laughs> yeah. event. No one will talk to you, but go if you want. And so I, of course, I never listened to anybody, so I went, and it was exactly what they, they talked about, but I heard really good things about their Young Lawyers program and everything. So you guys are affiliated with them directly or yes. you spring out from them or we are directly affiliated with DRI okay. um, we work with them closely we go to their leadership conferences we go to their annual meetings they have meetings with all the state and local organizations um, at least two to three times a year where we send board members to um, we are separately financed but we operate sort of under their umbrella and they're a really great resource for us i can imagine i remember they put out a lot of materials and they put out a lot of you know a a lot of really useful stuff and they seem to do stuff very regularly so yeah they have an insane number of seminars every year on almost any topic you can imagine um well, that's cool. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, you guys put on CLEs. Obviously, I'm perusing your website a little bit. I do, contrary to popular opinion, I do try and prepare for some of these a little bit. Um, tell me a little yeah, bit about... It's a dirty line, you know. <laughs> By the way, I'm here. Oh, Dan is here. He's joined us here today. We before went uh, doing the uh, traditional... Um, introductions i'm going to put them in later okay partially that was because of your let's call it laziness let's call it what it is <laughs> all right we'll say lazy we'll say lazy. i'll say i was talking to a client and signing her up client, uh, client tomato okay. tomato making money <laughs> making money money um good um well as we're just talking about these guys about what udla does so so tell me about I have a little bit of understanding of the Legislative Affairs Committee, and with no disrespect to the committee, um, my my Good understanding is that it's that it's somewhat pointless as far as I mean that surprises me that um, the, the UAJ has a seat on the committee because they won't take a position on any issue that is. Um, that any two issues, any two sections of the bar might disagree on. And so they usually, most of their stuff has to do with access to justice and um, sort of rule of law issues almost. Yeah. So you're probably not missing, you're probably just missing some meetings. Well, we go to the meetings for the last two years we've been going. It's a useful resource for us to figure out what's, what are the hot issues that are affecting lawyers in any practice area and how those could affect our members? The voting, you're right. Perhaps that doesn't matter. For us, it's sort of a thing of principle. Yeah. UAJ <laughs> is there at the table. Yeah. We want to have zero people seated I get it. I'm just trying to make it a little, bit, a little better. Yeah. And, you know, just make life easier. We all got a lot of meetings. You yeah. know? Practically speaking, perhaps it doesn't matter. Um, principle of the thing though that's no that's i hear you issue. i hear you definitely um, but legislatively udla we we go to those meetings like i said to learn what's happening um see what positions the bar is taking and then to then relay the important information to our members oh well, it's good to have 
everybody have you know a, a seat at every part of the bar have a seat at the table at those things because occasionally you know i mean 90 percent of the time the stuff that affects all lawyers in the state is pretty benign but every once in a while it'll be something you know potentially devastating i i think a few years ago they were talking about doing away with the bar altogether and having it regulated by uh that was last year yeah yeah well i think it's happened more than it's, and it's <laughs> happened multiple time. times yeah. because you know where they have them uh regulated by uh yeah by doppel like mm-hmm. like by doppel depends on what news stories hit the, the preceding year that that. Which the only reason I would be in favor of that is if we could get the same protections and malpractice actions as the doctors get. No, you don't want that. If, if they have could, you been to a doppel? Oh, I have. I have. <laughs> I have. I have had myself sit oh, in a no. sit in a room <laughs> where everyone's looking at me, Here going, go. making an angry face, like, "Oh, really, <laughs> sir?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, yeah a, a lot more fun than the. Uh, a lot less fun than the. Than so by the Sarah's answer, it sounds like she doesn't think that they are very well protected. The, right, who, it seems the, 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 the doctors easy. aren't. Yeah, that's what, that's what it seems. I like. mean, you have the the hearing, but then all you need is an affidavit from a doctor, and even if you get a. Well, that's true, but anybody else that gets sued doesn't need any of that. They just need a piece of paper that says a compl- there's a complaint, and then there's an answer, and then we go forward discovery but doctors have the magical ability to be protected by doppel and i want that magic hat <laughs> i feel like i went to school too and i, I if, if anybody's gonna get magic yeah. armor then i want the magic armor i mean you know I, I, i'm all for my magic armor right yeah yeah uh, i don't know <laughs> well i you know the access to the access to justice question is is a great one. They, they're very lively discussions. And one thing that we find really helpful is uh, it's remarkable what issues will come up and the various perspectives. It may not be directly responsive to what the bar's purpose is of that meeting, but it does give us a, a good viewpoint as to other coalitions that, that might have the same interest up on the Hill that, that we would uh, that we can collaborate potentially and, and uh, do something that benefits a larger group than just uh, defense bar interests. So give so. me give me an example of that. I mean, I, I I don't mind to put you on the spot. No, which I just did. So I guess I did mean to. But. Yeah. Well, so uh, not a perfect example, but a few years ago, we were interested in making a push to, uh, of course, the seatbelt laws, and that not being uh, admissible at, at trial. But, but also a bigger issue, we saw uh, the landscape shift in terms of it becoming a primary offense of, of driving without uh, a seatbelt. Public opinion is definitely on the side of encouraging seatbelt use. And also uh, in terms of litigation, we like comparative fault. We like the ability to have the jury consider everything uh, and, and every fact that might help them uh, come out on, on causation. This is where we get a little bit sideways. Uh, well, no, I just, I, I, I'm just curious about the seatbelt issue from a practical standpoint because um, I can't remember which one. I was listening to another podcast the other day, and they talked about the amount of money that we spent on trying to get people to wear their seatbelts, and yet... They've had that buzzer that you have to have in your car 
for the last 20 years. And I don't know about you, but I I can't listen to that buzzer for more than 30 seconds without wanting to murder someone and be like, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on now! I mean, you know. I can't get out of my driveway. Right so, yeah, I was going to say I drove from South Temple to 100 South, not very far, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to put my seatbelt on. But then the stupid buzzer is like, okay, fine. So people to defeat that would have to put it on and like sit on it behind them in this really uncomfy spot. It seems like we got that seatbelt thing covered, right? Like, right. Like it's they're either going to do it or they really n- are not. Well, yeah. If you're driving a new car. Well, it's been in effect since like 1985. So My husband's car does not have one of those. Really? It's a 2001 Forerunner. It's not a great car. Definitely doesn't have a seatbelt. Okay, so if you're driving a car that's at least less than 17 years old, <laughs> maybe it was then, disabled sometime. Yeah, yeah or I'm yeah, sure you could or, disable but, it. I mean, there's always going to be somebody who's going to disable it or who could who could work around it, but it just seems like seatbelt thing's been done. Well, I think it's I think it's less that uh, I'm not and I'm, I'm not against right. people wearing their seatbelts. I'm just saying I think that people either at this point people either going to wear them or they're just not going to. And I think that's one of the questions that we have is is uh, it, it's it's generally accepted, like you say, the cars we drive uh, remind us uh, in in an annoying way that we need to put on the seatbelts. But we do see that the results of someone who gets in a, a car accident uh, and they're not wearing a seatbelt, they are going to be subjected to injuries that it, it's a question. Did the injuries you received from that car accident, was that the result of you not wearing a seatbelt or was it a result of the, the other driver? We want to at least be able to have that discussion or look into that or have experts who, who weigh in on that. That opens a whole new kettle of fish uh, there as well. But you know, ultimately, the question is, is why? Why would we not have that be part of this, uh, I'm against, this fault review? I am against anything that That's requires us to have more experts. experts. Yeah. More experts. Yeah. Right. It's like, no, we, we need an expert. You know, That's immediately you what I your, thought. I was like, oh. I mean, you know, yeah, do we tie right. the right shoe first to the left? Well, we need an expert to decide that decision. Yeah, most yeah. car accidents already have a biomechanical expert who can opine on that. You know, I, I haven't had one in my last several. Um, really? Had a bio, biomechanical um, uh, expert. Although, you know, we, I do tend to, we do tend to take more cases with um, our practice sense focus. Most of our clients have very, we don't have very many clients with just soft tissue injuries. I mean, we have a few, but a lot of them it's, you know, here is where the, you know, disc is burst and here is where it was not burst before the accident. And so, you know, biomechanical is not gonna be very useful in that situation, but, um, you know, and, and- It just seems cost prohibitive on it soft tissue where someone would use all that expert but we talked about that all the time at, mm-hmm. at kip where right. we'd be on cases like that is just crazy that i think they would they would use that amount of experts to do a soft tissue case but it happens what is it sean peck got a seven hundred thousand dollar <clears throat> soft tissue judgment up in logan i think that was three or four years ago now with a do they have a permanent uh, it was a soft tissue. This is totally well, anecdotal. I mean, if you're going after seven hundred thousand, yeah. It, it was it was a soft tissue 
Now, I heard from a reliable source that part of the verdict may have been that the defendant insisted every every <laughs> lunchtime in getting in his vehicle and like in his big, huge, monstrous truck, it was you know nasty and like peeling out of the courthouse driveway right in front of the jurors and. You know, just this sort of angry not drive off. Uh, not a great yeah, look. You'd not to advise that to anyone. We, we've always we've all had clients like that. What are you doing? <laughs> no, I defended I defended a slip and fall once with George George Waddups on the plaintiff side, and um, which is a miserable day for many reasons. But uh, my client, uh, for my first my main client, got up, did great. You know, the owner of the store. And it was, a, it was a slip and fall. And then her son, who had been managing the store that day, got up and just, I mean, he asked out the court reporter on the record, just <laughs> repeatedly hitting on her. Massive face tattoos, which George was, of course, photographing from every angle, you know, and, and uh, a mohawk and... You know, well, I don't know why I should be required to sweep this up. I think people should take care of themselves. And I'm just like, like you know, afterwards, I'm kind of like, okay, so, George, how much do you want? Uh, you know, let me see what I can do here. Where's um, the Fifth Amendment? Really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Civil Fifth Amendment, yeah. Um, yeah. No, definitely, I can see. So so what other, what other sort of legislative stuff do you guys... Uh, looking at, maybe working on. Well, we ran, we tried to run with the seatbelt, was that two years ago? Yeah, two years ago. That died real quick. Um, I think UHA, is that the year that they introduced the bad faith litigation? Yeah, I think Representative McKell uh, raised a Not bad faith litigation, third party but, bad yeah, faith defense. Uh, a statute or, or bill. To, to, to introduce that and and that was kind of the counterweight to get us to, to stop with the seatbelt bill already and uh, I have heard I have heard that from 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 a couple of people at the UAJ that sometimes it seems like you guys uh, the legislative impact of of both of you up there is you're like the light and the dark side of the force and you just disagree about who's which and you kind of cancel <laughs> each other out in the big battle. Last year we did work together on oh uh, really very briefly a really small change to the Utah Medical Malpractice Act. Oh, um, I went up there and testified for the bill, and somebody from UHA I think was there as well and testified for it. And the committee was like, "Oh, you all agree? Great, we're done here." It's, <laughs> you guys agree? Then we can. Yeah. Uh, we don't even have to think about it. Yeah. I will Fair say, UAJ, I mean, hats off to them. They Their ability to organize. It's impressive. I remember a few years ago, there was a committee hearing where Cliff Payne showed up on behalf of UDLA. And uh, don't hold me to this exactly, but I think it was a bill that provided that if you do a settlement on property damage, if you do a settlement on property damage for your car, that there's there's some sort of that, that, that there was a bill that was introduced that that didn't preclude you from going forward on the personal injury uh, litigation side of it after you've settled with that. I, I don't remember the exact terms, but I do remember attending and seeing Cliff Payne there all on his own, 
and I think there were five or six members of UAJ just by by sheer numbers. Uh, it seems like they can get a lot of support out, and uh, but I think that there are a lot of things that we actually could agree on, or or at least could constructively look at UAM uh, process and and how those claims go. I think that there are some productivity that we can do there. Uh, oh yes, I, yeah. I, I, well that just barely changed, so they just got rid of the five day the, the subrogation tender subrogation obligation so that was nice yeah because it was worthless it didn't really yeah. nobody ever took advantage of it yeah i never saw anybody take advantage of it i heard i heard stories that you know, it's sort of like elves in the woods like i've never seen one but i heard one day someone said they saw one so i think yeah. one thing that would be really nice is uh, in in working with lots of of uh, Plaintiffs' attorneys uh, who represent claimants, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, especially in first-party claims, that we uh, help our, our, you know, the insurance companies take care of their uh, insured claimants. And we're advising them a lot of the time, and, and early on, we would get a demand letter that looks a whole lot like a statutory election to arbitrate. And so we send them the letter and say, hey, here's the statute, here's what we want from you. And then the immediate uh, question back: Are you forcing us to litigate? Are you are you uh, saying that we can't just informally resolve this? And you go, what? No, no. I'm, I'm just trying to get yeah, the information we need here. No, I think it's yeah. I think maybe I think it may have something to do with the way the statute's, statute's written. Yes, written yeah. because we had that instance. Uh, I, I, yeah, very recently where we had, I sent over. I, I think my paralegal because it sends it says. In the, the UIM disclosures that, you know, whether you file on litigation or whether you arbitrate, within 30 days of whichever, you send over these disclosures. And so we'll just copy the text from the statute that says arbitrate or file. And I think, they, I think the other side got confused and sent us a letter back saying, oh, we see you've decided to arbitrate this matter. And we're like... <laughs> Did we? No. Yeah. No, I don't think so. Don't know. Doesn't sound like I filed a complaint yeah. and uh, I'm preparing my initial disclosures. I, I don't. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, apparently they just read it wrong and yeah, we got it resolved. But and most of the time, a phone call will do that. And and with I think 99% of of attorneys on the other side. Uh, oh, there's gems on both sides where yeah, oh, yeah. that won't work. Where that won't work, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you 99% of the time. Where you don't answer the demand letter, and on the 61st day you go, hey, uh, I still need these things from you uh, under the statute. And, uh, so we, we try not to be that way as well. We try to work with the other side. But I think there's a gray area there where neither side really knows what the other side is in, is intending or how they're viewing well, this. The UAM is complicated to begin with. That's, I mean, yeah. we've had I, we've had a couple of cases where they met the um, the the those the weird yeah. statutory requirements yeah. where they get to claim under two policies, and so you know we've had to navigate like, all right, so who do I have to let n know that they want to tender the policy limits, and how do I have to do it, and then you know, and then that. Part of it went away, but this happened before that, so it didn't affect it. Well, I think we worked it out pretty well, but it's it's pretty it's a pretty complicated statute, and I honestly think a lot of attorneys on both sides, unless you 
I think maybe you guys have a tend to have a better understanding because there'll be somebody in your office who just does that, you know, uh, you know, on the defense all the time. Whereas plaintiffs, it's like, well, you know, I handle this case, and if it happens to have UIM on the end, then I go do UIM. Um, but and even then, it seems like not everyone understands the UAM statute on the... Well, and the statute is confusingly written, too. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of jumps all over, and it's... Well, it, like on the, the 60 days, you have 60 days to give the undisputed portion of the UIM claim, and it says that, but then there's it's like, okay, well, what happens if... They don't. They don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's no real... No, nothing, yeah. So it's... It's I guess that's a determination that they're all, it's all disputed, I guess. I guess, I, yeah, I don't know. So that's, we've, lately we've been having several, we, we currently have two, uh, two, uh, I won't say which firm they're with, but two, two $25,000 uh, UIM cases that are in federal court. Um, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is uh, interesting. Uh, to, to be in are litigating those and, or yep, no, no, no they are UAM straight demands. UAM demands. UAM. We're removed to federal court, and we're like, uh, wait, what? And, and it, was, it, it was a typo, and we tried to talk them down, and they were like, nope, but we're this is what we're doing, so we're gonna litigate them in federal court. Well, Should be fun. I I think that one of the things that we run into a lot are. Um, private adjusters being named as, as defendants, um, it, it not being entirely clear if, uh, you know, I've, I've had long phone conversations with plaintiff's counsel or, or claimant's counsel uh, um, where, you know, they're saying, well, we're, we're suing for, for breach of contract and that includes bad faith and breach of the duty of, of uh, good faith, fair dealing. And we want our UMUIM benefits, and that, that's all contract. And, and so sometimes it's tough for us to be able to decide, well, how do we really interact with this? Uh, responsiveness is another issue where we go, well, you filed, you've elected litigation. It could be over $25,000 UIM policy limit. It could be that you're alleging bad faith. Uh, a lot of the time, especially recently, if, uh, if UIM litigation is elected, uh, bad face just kind of thrown in there uh, as like, well, might as well throw it in now. And, and, you know, and I'd say we try, I think at least when we do ours, we try and avoid adding in anything that we don't, that we don't need to. I will say recently I did have a case where I sued uh, along with the insurance company. I sued the independent adjuster uh, and bad faith and fraud and other things, but there were, um, this is pretty special cookie. Yeah, I, there were there were some Sounds very like specific facts that I can't. I'm, I'm walking a very narrow line. <laughs> yeah. So what I can get into, but let's just say that we don't there have was, that case, do we? No, no, that like, wasn't. <laughs> no, it was settled within uh, about two weeks of being served. I got a call from opposing counsel that said, or an email said, "Hey, any way we can resolve this quickly?" And I said, "Why, yes, there is." <laughs> We're, you know, and policy limits got tendered, and we were just done. Yeah. yeah. Easy. All I'd, we ever wanted, anyway. So, 
I, I think one of our, our uh, one thing that we'd like to, to look at, and, and I'm going off script a little bit here, is to clarify when you get that tender of the underlying liability limits and uh, you, you now are initiating a claim or trying to negotiate for the, for the UM or, or UIM benefits, obviously no underlying in the UM, but in, in a case of UIM... Although I do think the UM statute needs clarification as, I agree as well, completely. but it's a separate issue, yeah. And they're working on that with the statute of limitations, which is nice to, yeah. to, to clarify yeah. that. Um, but that gray area from uh, the formal election uh, so from tender to formal election, there's this uh, zone here where I think some misunderstandings can happen. And understandably, by the time we get the case referred to us, there's been some dealings with an adjuster and sometimes even personalities. Well, and, so, and sometimes it, sometimes it, and this is just an observation of mine on, you know, especially with the, with the lower limits policies sometimes they tend to get assigned to adjusters who are a little more green and you know I, I tend to get adjusters who will you know tell me you know one thing and then and and I'll just be like wait what and it doesn't seem like they're I'm not sure if they even realize what case I'm talking to them on and and so I you know I don't know how to fix that but because uh, that seems like that's probably always going to happen. If you're the new person, you probably get the smaller claims. But yeah, I think sometimes when it gets a little interesting is is when we find out that there's a claim where, yeah, you know, well, uh, he's got a doctor. I don't know who it is, but uh, he says he's going to need a shoulder surgery from this accident, and and we find the adjuster saying, well, okay, get give me that bill, and we'll look at it. Well, we don't have a bill yet. Well, well, do you want to give me an estimate? Well, yeah, I'll work on that, and six months goes by, and, and uh, meanwhile, uh, by the time it gets to us, you know, we'll say, well, hey, can you send us what the UIM statute uh, includes as part of that demand? And, and then next thing you know, you, you, you get a letter saying, well, you're forcing the claimant to, to hire counsel. Well, he already had counsel. I've been talking to you for three months. Uh, yeah. So I, I think there are some communication things there that, you know, back to the legislative ideas, I think would benefit both sides to help, uh, you know, uh, know, you know, that we're, we're both on solid ground here. We're both trying to work this out. Uh, some, some statutory recommendations on uh, up to that point before you've elected litigation or arbitration, some things that you can provide the other side to help them really fulfill their duty of, of evaluating uh, thoroughly or to the best they can. So that's on my wish list anyway. So yeah, no, I mean from from our side, if you guys could, if you guys could 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 get them to put something in there that lets everyone <laughs> know that that they that um, that when I get a letter demanding that I give them a computation of my client's pain and suffering damages that I don't know what that means or how to do that. Yeah. Uh, deal. <laughs> you have deal. not you have not provided us with with your general damages number and I'm like that's because it's you know it's a wrongful death and it's all loss of companionship and I'm like I, 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 I. Yeah. 
<laughs> Which you'd, you'd be surprised to see what that looks like written out on the page. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that Whatever sound. that was. That noise, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what that word was on the yeah, screen. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a special word I made up myself. Yeah. It's useful in um, many situations. But, um, well, uh, you know, we're at about the time we probably going to hit, unless you guys had... Something else I did want to make sure you guys got the chance to plug and invite as many people as possible to join. Tell them how they can do that and Great. where they need to go on the web. Well, let me just give my little spiel about what we do other it. than just CLE, even though we do that very well. Um, so we, UDLA has divided our three core goals into... Um, Learning the law, which of course is monthly CLEs. We also do an annual meeting every year that's geared towards insurance, uh, not insurance, defense, civil defense litigation. Um, this year we also was our first year doing a depot academy that was really well received. It was an all day um, lecture and then practical element for geared towards young lawyers, but I think it applied to anyone who just wanted a refresher in depots of fact and expert witnesses. Um, we also try to serve our members by improving the law, uh, appearing up at the Hill when there are issues that concern our members or our mutual clients. Um, we write amicus briefs on important cases that are, are important to the defense bar. We did one just recently. That yes, the, we did on Rule 26. Yeah, on uh, Rule 15B. Was that oh, in Spencer's case? Spencer's Spencer's yeah. case, yeah. he asked me to come over and be the mean plaintiff's lawyer to oh, moot that. Oh, oh, did you? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that immensely. I, I think I remember talking to him after that was done, and he, he said, yep, that Gabe, Gabe did what, what we needed to do. <laughs> that, that was a Rule 15 uh, amendments that conformed right. to the evidence. Yeah, right. it was an odd really? fact For pattern. The tier a really odd fact pattern, which yeah. was very interesting, but yeah. Right. Um, so we're always looking for important amicus issues that we can help out on when we are able and we have the finances to do that. Um, and then we also monitor changes to the rules that are important to our members and just the general practice. And then we have socials and try to increase our membership. So that we're no longer invited to anymore. We're not allowed. You, you Although, Dan, we just had our first CLE that was joint with UAJ. Oh, really? We, we are the defenestration yeah. of Dan and Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> we are extremely interested in working with the plaintiff's bar, not just on legislative issues, but on socials or CLEs. I mean, there's a lot of issues that are important to both sides of the bar. Um, oh, the absolutely. CLE we had was just on um, discovery, proper discovery objections and requests. Mm. My God, could you imagine how easy discovery oh, would I, be if we all operated with the same understanding of the rules? It, might, it would be amazing. It might prep just, for I was this. just complaining about that today. No, in my, in my, <laughs> in my prep for this, I actually went to that, uh, that page and read through some of the slides on there, and yes. I thought very insightful. I yeah, that's Alex good. Lehman and, and Spencer yeah. um, from Prince Yates. Yeah. They have a really great approach to handling discovery objections, um, like form objections to discovery requests where you just put all that stuff at the beginning, and it's like, I object based off of reasonableness, but it's not an actual objection to the request. 
That's just the, useless. If we dude, could just all get rid of yeah, that, that would be awesome. When he says, do not put general objections at the front, I was like, right. yes. Right. Finally, <laughs> yes. Right. So I think there are a lot Which of are not, areas. in my opinion, allowed in, in the rule. No, they're not. Al- they're, they're meaningless. Not, they're meaningless. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to stand up if you get to the court on a might statement as, of discovery. Might as well put a poem <laughs> at the front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely haiku. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are enough of us that we, we get into it. We go, well, it looks weird without them. And it's not like the other side's going to read them anyway. So <sighs> just for my... Uh, what? It's, know, so, it's so... It's so I want to get rid of them all, but unfortunately <laughs> I don't run these, most of my cases. <laughs> all, of this, all, of these, all of these CLEs are so important, I think, because they, you get... So many lawyers learn to practice just by watching older lawyers. Right, right. And a lot of times that is great because they have a lot of wisdom and they know a lot of things. They but do. a lot of things they learn just from watching older lawyers do it and so on and so forth. And they really have no meaning, even if they had meaning way back when, right. they have no meaning today. Right. And to be able I mean, to, a lot of people oh. still call them the new rules, but... These, these rules have yeah, been around for a couple of years. Like eight we years should all, yeah. Right? yeah. Yep. Before you and I even were started barred. practicing, yeah. yeah. So yeah. when they say new rules, I'm like, you mean what do you the mean? Rules? The rules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when were you? 2009. I don't even know if you can find okay. the old rules on on They're Lexus. True, true story. I tried once in a case. It was a case I had with Mike Miller, a MedMal case down in Duchesne, Utah. We had a case where it. The rules that applied, because when it was filed, we were in 2002. And good luck trying to find a copy of the rules that were in effect. <laughs> I think we found eventually a hardbound copy in some of the older lawyers' yeah. offices. Bookshelf that yeah. they hadn't yeah. looked at in 10 years. In, yeah, 20 yeah. years. But. So, I mean, UDLA, we think there are a lot of ways that we can work with the plaintiff's bar to make the practice easier, even just to get to know each other more. So when you make that phone call to ask for that discovery extension or whatever request you need it's it goes a lot smoother it's it's more like a friend on the other side rather than just this lawyer that you are annoyed to get emails from which <laughs> happens a lot but it can we, be a friend on the other side you're annoyed to get emails. yes from. that's yeah. true as well so tell everybody how they can how they can join if they want to join the udla what are right they well they them? can reach out to me or marshall um like I said, I'm at Fabian Vancott. You can just find me on their website. Marshall's at Strong and Hanny. He's on their website as well. Um, and then we can give you instructions from there. I think you can go to our website as well, which, which I don't UDL, know the address. It's org. Well, there you go. That's simple, isn't it? Yep. UDLA.org. I think we have our membership levels there. Do you guys put yep. the CLEs on there too? Yes, we update them afterwards, okay. yeah. And when we get materials from our presenters, we usually put look them at in there as well. No, it's a good one. It's it's got some it's got some really good stuff, and I, I didn't, it really is. It's I really so didn't find anything that I disagreed with. Well, because um, it's so just a clear application. Say that out loud. Was, it was pretty. Jeez. There was a couple things I was kind of like, eh, maybe all right. Yeah, they're pretty right. Pull this card now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was it was good. It was good. I think it was about written discovery, and there's a lot of reasons that for years written discovery's been kind of worthless in the state of Utah, and it'd be nice if. Uh, we could make it worth. If we're going to spend this much time, that much time, you know, responding and drafting requests, right. make it at least worthwhile. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, I, in any way that we can uh, work hand in hand with UAJ and facilitate that. I mean, I I've benefited from uh, folks on the plaintiffs bar who've given me a call, and and said, hey, 
you know, before I answer this, are you, are you meaning to ask me this? Yeah. Is this, <laughs> is this what you're that after? That a lot of time, and, and I really appreciated that. And it, uh, I mean, we've, we've had some epic battles uh, over the years, but always maintained some camaraderie and, and respect through the process because there's that open line of communication. It's not personal, although we take both our sides seriously. And so any way that we can facilitate that and foster that, um, and then, you know, uh, also uh, work together as a defense bar. So we welcome anyone. Uh, the plaintiffs, right. defense attorneys, um, come on out to our, our socials. We're on Twitter as well. There we go. So, uh, I do not know how to use that technology. That but do you man the Twitter? No, no. They don't trust me with things <laughs> with the like tweets? that. We've got a... a do we have a little bit of a 4 a.m. Uh, <laughs> tweet problem? Yeah, going on it, here? I, I have trouble with all caps, multiple exclamation <laughs> points. It's just, Who else is it's kind of a mess. Problem? I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking of a Cheeto. Uh, anyway. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for agreeing to come on the podcast. We really appreciate it, and um, thanks, thanks again. And we thank, like to say, we appreciate our listeners. If you like what you hear, please um, subscribe uh, on iTunes. And uh, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the this episode of the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Just wanted to point out again a couple of um, items before we let you go. First, again, our partnership with with uh, TrialGuides.com and the incredible opportunity you have to get 10% off of your order uh, if you go and enter the code, uh, the letters T, L, P, and then the number 10 at checkout. You can get 10% off any of their great products that are designed to help uh, civil plaintiff and criminal defense lawyers uh, do a better job representing their clients. I know I can speak to um, several of their products being extremely helpful in my practice and really changed the way I thought about what I did. We hope you enjoyed again today listening to our discussion with uh, Sarah and Marshall uh, talking about uh, their organization, the Utah Defense Lawyers Association. And for you defense lawyers out there who may be listening it, uh, maybe listeners of our podcast, we hope that you will take this opportunity to go and check their organization out and um, uh, take a look because I think they provide a lot of valuable resources uh, that you know can help you uh, improve your practice as well. Uh, Thank you very much, and we will see you next time.